You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Second down and one, right back to Barkley in a huge hole. Saquon Barkley off to the races and the home run hitter has gone deep here on the second play from scrimmage for the Giants. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Craggy Finn, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the Football Grump, and with me, as always, is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Hello, Grump. Uh, greetings from the Sky Club at Salt Lake City International Airport. I'm coming back from my ski trip. No broken bones, but a lot more free agent toys to play with. So I think it was a very good weekend. No, no broken bones, but lots of broken news. Before we get started, just want to say, um, if I sound a little muffled today, I'm in a huge room with a lot of people, so um, just keep that in mind as you're listening. Yeah, so this is going to be a quick update of the over-the-weekend stuff, and then we'll go a little bit more in-depth into everything uh, in a future episode, possibly tomorrow. But um, just real quick, the Giants were movers over the weekend uh, in free agency in general. Uh, so just like real quickly, I'm going to run through everybody that's been signed and re-signed so far, and it's it's pretty quick. Um, for, for starters, they got uh, quarterback Mike Glennon on a one-year deal for $1.3 million. Running back Devontae Booker we've discussed in a previous episode for a two-year deal with $5.5 million. They signed fullback Colin Gillespie. They signed tight end Kyle Rudolph to two years, $12 million. Wide receiver John Ross for one year, $1.85 million. The big haul, the big fish, Kenny Galladay, four years, $72 million. They re-signed wide receiver C.J. Board for a one-year deal worth eight hundred and fifty k. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they signed a Fady Odenegbo, one year, $2.5 million. They re-signed Leonard Williams, the big fish on defensive side, to three years, $63 million. Um, they re-signed Austin Johnson, nose tackle, one year, $3 million. They signed Reggie Ragland, linebacker, one year, $987,000. And they re-signed their long snapper, Casey Kreider, to a one-year, $1 million contract. So they've they've ironed out a whole bunch of things here, but let's just kind of get. I want to hear what uh, what the cranky fan has to say. Is there anything to be cranky about so far in free agency? No, not at all. I mean, you know, you said we were movers in this free agent market, and the initial reaction from you know the blue checks on Twitter and ESPN talking heads was all very positive. They were big splash needs to hit major needs for the team. They weren't just collecting fancy football names and a lot of moves to build depth on this team. You know, it makes us gives us more focus going into the draft to really start targeting, you know, some specific needs as opposed to will we need everything. Um, to me, this is kind of a referendum now of where you are as a giant fan and what is your what is your expectation level? If you Again, if you are a I hate Dave Gettleman, you're going to find something to complain about with anything. And I, at this point, I really don't even care what you think. Um, however, if you think um, you know, we're a little disappointed we didn't make enough splashes, well, again, I think you still have to come to grips with where we are as part of this rebuilding process. I think the majority of Giant fans, I think, are very excited about it. And they're not being over-the-top crazy. Um, that's kind of where I feel right now. I feel like 
this was a very critical offseason for we can kick this into high gear, this rebuild, and to really start no longer tearing down, but rebuilding. And I think we've done that. Um, I did find it surprising, though, Crump. I did see ESPN this morning. They listed the uh, division odds, and we were still the biggest long shot to win this division. And I don't know what that's coming from or what the thought process is, but this team is significantly better than it was at the end of last season with a draft to come. So I'm, I'm excited how we are right now. Well, I'm not really worried what ESPN thinks because I know that their motive for every segment and every comment is bottom line. So if it gets people, you know, talking about their segment, then they're going to run it. Um, so ESPN can, can find something else to talk about. But Well, those are those are Vegas odds. Those weren't ESPN. Oh, like and Vegas I care about even less. You know, Vegas, yeah. Vegas is very reactionary well, to everything. Well, it, it, it's, a, it's kind of a referendum on what the public thinks of the moves, where, again, if they weren't, there was one real headline move, I guess you'd say with Galladay. I would say the Leonard Williams one, if you're not really a Giants fan, it's not as major of a story as, you know, even for a year and a half now, I've been following this saga. So it's bigger real news to us than maybe if you're a Cleveland Brown fan. But, you know, it just kind of initially feels like the public kind of, shrugging their shoulders and that sounds like a mark of inefficiency to me so i'll be i'll be making a wager very shortly on the uh the division for the giants <laughs> well this is kind of an interesting off season to have a major major uh overhaul i mean this is this was a big this year was supposed to be the big move year and you could tell that it was supposed to be the big move year based on the contracts that were doled out uh there, there's a lot of criticism to be given for some of the moves that were made early on in this rebuilding process of whether we were one foot in, one foot out, etc. But there were certain moves that were definitely, without question, stopgap solutions like Nate Solder's contract and things like that that all got thrown off the rails with the pandemic. Nate Solder opts out of last year. His contract doesn't count against last year's cap, but it rolls over to this year's. And it, and it creates this sort of cap problem where we had, uh, you know, a, a down cap year because of the pandemic and then you know you have rolled over contracts that were affecting this year you know and this actually allowed i think while it initially was a hampering problem i think it allowed the front office to be a little bit creative with contract structure and take a couple of more risks you know a lot of these impending free agents wanted you know to increase their value and go on one-year deals, and man, this is the year for one-year deals, you know? So, you know, I, I rattled off a whole bunch of contracts there, most of which were one-year deals. There were two two-year deals, one three-year deal, and one four-year deal. So this actually allowed the Giants to be more creative with their cap structure, and because they had, you know, because most of their roster is condensed into a short period of time and not stretching over several years that allowed them some flexibility in you know restructuring contracts to make to fit new guys in under the under the cap and they were able to do that and uh, I think actually benefited them yeah I mean the cap is going to go up next year and the year after and then once those do those media deals kick in it's really going to jump I mean it might jump I saw up to potentially $80 million a year more when those new hit. So this was a year where, you know, unusual situation and it worked out, I think for their benefit, a lot of players were kind of waiting and seeing because they know the big money's coming 
they don't want to be tied down to something where they're going to feel like, oh, now I'm underpaid. We want to have a whole bunch of holdouts and aggravation. So the timing, you know, it, it kind of worked out in the giant's favor and you know, moves that had to be made were made. We got our number one receiver. We have our number one defensive lineman right now. Um, and again, we haven't even talked about the draft yet and what they're going to do. So um, the, the, the pieces are being made. They're doing it the right way. This isn't, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles who are just getting, you know, a million free agents or like the Giants did a few years ago where it's just, we feel we're in win-now mode. I, I feel we're in, we are, we're, we're done with the, the bottom of the, the bailout and we're being put together smartly. Yeah, that's really good. You made the, the connection there in uh, the free agent. Um, the differences between the 2016 free agent class that the Giants brought in and this year's. And, um, you know, the 2016 one, we there were a lot of high-priced guys. There were a lot of big market guys. And they were all given, you know, four-year deals, big money stretched out over a lot of time. This really isn't that. I mean, this is a lot of... This is a lot of um, depth signings. This is a lot of you know short contracts with minimal money, money pushed out to the future. You know ways to maneuver out of some of these contracts and things like that. This isn't this isn't a big spending spree. I mean, we have the two the two really big contracts are the guys that you want to build around anyway. You know, this isn't a this is. I don't know how you want to rephrase it. It's not really just like throwing money at a at a Super Bowl win here. This is this is throwing money into you know a couple of foundational Foundation blocks picks. here. Yeah, yeah. These aren't these aren't moves to get us over the top. These are building a core, and we're building that core through young free agents, and we're building it through the draft. And this is right in line with that uh, plan. What was done today? We didn't get any you know thirty three year olds that are going to you know, try to get us. Over the hump. These are, you know, 20, how old is Gallery? Like 26, 27? Yeah. I mean, that's guys are entering the prime of their career now. And Leonard Williams is entering the prime of his career right now. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go through the draft. We'll do the same thing again next year. And then, you know, I really think that when we're talking 2022 season, that's when we're really serious about competing for big, big things, not being the paper champ of a chump division like like last year. I think you know, there'll be one more year of more continuality with the, um, the coaching staff. You know, we'll have a whole offseason to actually work together. It's an important year for Daniel Jones. Now he has more weapons than he's ever had. And, oh, yeah, Saquon Barkley back too. So it's really going really to be kind of put in motion now, the results of the last couple of years of building, you know, tearing down to get ready with the cap and starting to spend the cap smartly. I have to say, also, in a, in a parallel to the 2016 team, I'm more excited about these two big fish um, free agent signings than I was. Like, I, I really wanted Janoris Jenkins in 2016. I knew he was the best corner in the market. I knew who Janoris Jenkins was over the years, was a big fan of him coming out of college. I knew what he was capable of and uh, what that team needed at that time. And, and I knew that he was you know just young enough or whatever. I wasn't that high on Olivier Vernon. I know he was the best pass rusher on the market, but from what I saw with him you know, in Miami and then again in Miami, um, I, I just... 
I, I didn't see it from him. I knew he was a, a good, well-balanced guy, but you know, my justification for the big money was oh, he'll be playing opposite JPP. You know, maybe that'll may, they'll both be able to eat that way or whatever. And it, it kind of was, but but Olivier Vernon never really emerged as a big pass rusher. You know, JPP kind of played pretty well. You know, when he was healthy. Uh, you know, Snacks is another one where I absolutely love the guy, but it seemed like a lot of money. I don't know. I was I was pretty lukewarm. I was happy that we were taking a shot at the Super Bowl then, but but I feel much better about Kenny Galladay and Leonard Williams. You know, Leonard Williams has the track record of QB hustle, uh, QB hurries, um, which you know that that's going to open up a whole bunch of things. That's really the better yardstick to go by with somebody like him who plays inside and outside on the defensive line. And Kenny Galladay is a true number one receiver, something we haven't had since thirteen was here, and before that, I don't know. Hakeem Nix, I think he's better than Hakeem Nix, probably. So he's better than Hakeem Nix. Yeah, exactly. Sure. If it yeah, weren't for thirteen here, that, we'd be saying going, we'd be going all the way back to Burris with the last time we had a receiver this right. good, right? Right, right. And you know, again, the twenty sixteen free agency class was really based upon the fact that ownership loved, still loves Eli Manning. And knew the clock was winding down, and they panic might be a little bit too strong of a word, but they made every effort possible to get the last squeeze of lemonade out of Eli Manning, and that was by we're going to try to win now, and that that's what that was. That was not an attempt to fill holes for long-term growth. This was we may have two years left of Eli, three years, who knows? But we are going to try to, and you know. It's possible that they overestimated what was left in Eli's tank. I think more of it, they just love him personally. You know, they were the biggest backers of Eli Manning, and that's why a lot of stuff was done. We don't have that now. We're the exact opposite. We're, you know, a, a fresh canvas of, of building this team. There's no, there's no arbitrary timeline. I know a lot of giant fans are doing the, well, get him in better do this year or he's fired, or even if Daniel Jones doesn't do it this year, they need to move on. I'm sure ownership doesn't think that for either case. So with that in mind, I think it was done smartly this time. I mean, with a, a, a thought of 2021, but 2022 and beyond is not just, we need to do it right now. Yeah. You know, and let's kind of go through what these, what these free agents do for us. So we, a couple of weeks ago, did a state of the roster where we kind of went through what each position looked like on the depth chart and, and, you know, even at starter level, and you know, voiced our concerns or whatever. And I think that now taking a step back and looking at it post first wave of free agency, we can feel a lot better. You know, Mike Glennon comes in; he's your proven backup. We'll get into in a future episode like the specifics of these guys. But Mike Glennon, how do you feel about him as a backup, real quick? Oh, I feel like Mike Glennon is a guy. If he has to play for three weeks or five weeks, I have no problem with him playing. I think, you know, some of the guys we had on the roster last year or other guys we were talking about, I'd be very nervous having them play for a quarter of the season or beyond. But Mike Lennon, I think, you know, is someone who can step in if necessary, and but he's not good enough that he's going to threaten you to become the starter. Like, if we run in a guy like Jameis, it's like, oh, yeah, he could definitely fill like, the need, but there's always going to be a segment of, of, the, uh, of the fan base and maybe the front office that thinks that Jameis should be the starter. But nobody thinks that with Mike Glennon, not at this stage. So I think it was a perfect sign. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and the biggest difference between Mike Lennon and last year's backup Colt McCoy is the big arm. We saw Colt McCoy struggle to push the ball downfield when the option was open. I don't think we'll have that trouble with Mike Lennon should he ever need to come in, or at least you know when when we see some preseason games if they happen this year. Um, another 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 example who I just thought of is uh, what Washington did is they they brought in uh, Fitzpatrick. I mean, I don't know I don't know what they're thinking with that if that's if they think he's, they signed him to be the starter, they're further behind from a mentality standpoint, as you know, you know, a self-awareness standpoint than anything else. But if they brought him in to be a backup, if they're planning on drafting somebody, well, that's the type of quarterback I was exactly I was talking about because people are always going to be like, well, what about Fitzpatrick? Let's put him in, yeah. you know, because he's a very popular guy. For for a guy who's a fringe starter, he has a lot of supporters around this league. A lot of fans love him. You know, Fitz Magic. You know, we know what he does the first three games. He starts and where he goes. You know, again, you're not going to get that with Glennon with the Giants. I don't think, other than his family and friends, I don't think you're going to have a hashtag Mike Glennon movement anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, Devontae Booker as the backup running back. This is probably the most controversial pick because it was a lot of money and it was it was early where a lot of people feel you can get a running back of service um, you know, later on and for a lot less. I'm okay with Devontae Booker. I'm okay with the money. It's it, it's on the high end, but it's not it's not overwhelming. I think it was just because we hadn't made any other moves yet. People started to get nervous about what we were going to be able to do to fit guys like Kenny Galladay in. But as a backup, I, I think it's important that we don't scrape the bottom of the barrel behind Saquon Barkley. He's coming off of a major injury, second one in, in two years. And not only that, you know, even if he is fully healthy, you know, maybe it's important that we have somebody who can take starter reps and do something more with them. I, Alfred Morris was an absolute corpse back there. So I feel pretty good about Devontae Booker being the backup and, and having some starter reps uh, in there. Yeah, Grump, you know what it is. It's like college football where people, some people care more about recruiting than the actual games that are played. I think in the NFL, there is a segment of the fan base that cares more about how much money we save on deals and who won free agency and who won you know, being the most, saving the most money on the cap than actually what you're doing to your team. Um, you know, again, you have to look at free agency in the, in the totality, the totality, the whole thing. As each thing happens, because you know, all the puzzle pieces have to fit together in the puzzle. Did he, did he was he a little more expensive than the fans wanted? Well, probably. But in all reality, is there one player we did not get that we wanted because of the money we spent for Booker? The answer is no. Dalvin Tomlinson is not a Viking because we signed Booker. If we really wanted him, and really wanted to be here, we could have figured something out and made it work. But you know. It didn't happen, but it has nothing to do with this particular signing. So, you know, if management likes him and they wanted him, you get him. You spend a little more, look at the entire free agency puzzle. We got pretty much everybody we wanted. The team was upgraded. So I don't worry about, you know, an extra million for a backup who's we, – we can't look into the crystal ball. I mean, the guy may have a very small role on this team. He might have a massive role on this team. We don't know, but – they got who they wanted, and that's that's good enough for me right now. Yeah, it should also be noted that of that five and a half million, it's only two and a half this year, and next year there's a one million dollar dead cap out. So this may be a moot 
argument anyway. That's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that's nothing. Um, real quick, they brought in Cullen Gillespie. As far as I could tell, we didn't have any contract details there. He's a fullback. I'm all for fullback competition. I'm all for the fullback com- position. Um, this dude's also a special teamer, which you know a lot of people care about. I think Joe Judge obviously cares about. But I love it. Bring in, bring in a third fullback. Let guys compete. Get the best fullback out there. Hit people. Bad teams have no competition in multiple positions. They just have guys. As you get more depth and you get competition, cream rises to the top. You have better players on the field. So, right. I mean, again, we're not talking – this isn't breaking any – uh, budgets signing him. You bring him in and see what happens. It doesn't work out. Oh well. So I'm with you. Probably the strangest one was the Kyle Rudolph one, and and I, I don't want to hash over this too much because Talking Giants did like such a comprehensive overview of this. And, you know, Bobby Skinner was on it from the beginning, so I don't I don't want to rehash any of that stuff. But it is interesting because now we're in a situation where Evan Ingram's fifth year contract is fully guaranteed but can be traded um, away in its entirety or whatever. Um, and that's $6 million. Evan Ingram is on thin ice anyway. We don't really need to hash over that. But what's interesting is that they restructured Levine Toilolo, and Caden Smith had an integral part of the offense last year. Caden Smith and Kyle Rudolph are, are kind of the same mold of that all-around tight end. They have the speed, the route-running ability, and the hands to be a receiving tight end in some capacity. And they have some blocking ability. Uh, Levine Tylolo is on the other end of the spectrum where he's not really going to catch a whole lot, but he's going to be a better blocker than those two. And Evan Ingram is on the other end of that spectrum where he's going to be at best an adequate blocker. And uh, he has the speed and route running ability to be a vertical threat. His big problem has always been if you're going to be a receiving tight end, you have to be able to catch the ball. Um <laughs> I, and and to be fair, and this isn't this isn't a knock on Jason Garrett. This is a knock on our offense. Since we've gotten him, he hasn't run routes like he has in college, where he's actually stretching the field vertically. These offensive coordinators seem to want to have him matched up against linebackers and stretch the field horizontally to outrun them. Which to me, I understand that you're not running him into deep safety coverage by doing that, but these short routes for him aren't working. They haven't been working, and I'm. It, it, it's going to be strange if they really carry all four tight ends on this roster, especially if they keep a fullback as well. So that what happens in the in the training camp and all that stuff with these four guys, if they all four of them enter training camp, is going to be super interesting. What if Kyle Pitts falls and he's available? Well, that just throws a whole other wrench into it. I mean, I don't expect exactly. him to, but yeah, stranger things have happened. Uh, you know, if there's a run on quarterbacks or a run on whoever, you know, he could he could slide for some reason. Um, yeah, I mean, again, until I think you know what the preseason, you know, the pre-training camp roster is going to be, who they're accumulating assets. And I think that's a smart thing for a team to do. I'd rather be a position because Evan Ingram, despite the internal belly from this fan base and the New York media and everything, he was voted to be a Pro Bowler. He has, you know, there is value out there. He has a perceived value around the rest of the league. So it's not like it's someone where he's untouchable, radioactive garbage. I mean, they if they decide to move in the direction, they will get something back for him. So I, I think, you know, again, we just said in the last segment talking about depth. 
this is, you know, we have more depth at this one position. I mean, let's see what happens in the draft. Let's see, you know, if we use it to pick on a, on a, another quote unquote one wide receiver, that may change how they want to run this offense. You know, if they don't get a wide receiver and they may rely more heavily on the tight end position, then who knows? So I think, again, like we said about um, wait till all the puzzle pieces are there, I think. We're not done yet, so I think we're still. I wouldn't say like, oh, how are we gonna do this before what? Tight ends or three? These guys do the same thing. I think we're still, you know, in the off-season working process mode before we really start to say there's an imbalance or what are we gonna do with this? Yeah, and it's interesting. I think this whole offense is going to look completely different anyway. I think this is gonna look. I mean, from a roster perspective, already looks like what I consider a Cowboys Jason Garrett offense to look like. I mean, we have Kenny Galladay now as our true number one receiver, if you think back to like Terrell Owens or Daz Bryant, and now you bring in Kyle Rudolph, who is more of that um, Jason Witten role of, you know, good blocker, good receiver. He runs those short and intermediate routes really well. He's not going to stretch the field deep. He is not an Evan Ingram type at all, and we didn't really see any of that with Jason Garrett's Cowboys but also last year we didn't have a number one wide receiver that allowed any of this to happen and I don't think they wanted to groom Evan Ingram into that role so you know this whole offense is probably going to look a lot different this year than it did last year we didn't have Saquon Barkley last year well there's that too of course yeah yeah I mean you know now that we have a number one wide receiver but this offense we I think we both agree is still going to revolve primarily around Saquon Barkley I mean, when he, last year was just basically on, on the offense survival mode. Survival because, again, there's no offseason to implement the offense. Survival where we didn't have Barkley all year. Survival where we were doing all sorts of gymnastics with the offensive line. Survival with, you know, Daniel Jones. And everything was just, just survive out there. This season, the... The expectations, the preparation, the uh, fortifying of this whole life, it's just completely different than last year. I don't, I don't expect to see anything like what we saw last year for this year. I don't think this team is going to score 16 points a game. I don't think it's going to be playing for first down, you know, for you know, three plays for first down is the goal. I think you're going to see a lot more uh, you know, variability in what we're trying to do. Absolutely. And the addition of Kenny Galladay helps on so many levels. Having that true number one wide receiver opens up guys like Darius Slayton, who we, we think is is really a number three wide receiver on the team, but uh, you know he was forced into a number one role at some point. This allows him to get one on one coverage and and you know be better, you know, stats wise. He doesn't get the attention that he would normally, that he has been getting. This allows Shepard to truly work on the inside where he's better, even though he does have outside ability. You know, um, we, we also added John Ross, who's a speedster. Um, he, you know, serious drops problems, and that's fine, but, you know, most well known probably for setting the combine record for 40 time, incredibly fast, can take the top of it. He doesn't have to be able to catch the ball as long as his speed is respected. As long as we throw that deep ball, the underneath stuff should open up for Kyle Rudolph to run a, you know, five-yard stick route or something like that or, or, you know, just the quick slants that we can have Darius Slayton do or, you know, something like that. Having that ability just simply changes the entire dynamic of the offense. And we didn't really have anybody who could stretch the field last year. I would have preferred we tried, but 
you know, whatever. I, I, I expect this to be a completely different offense, even not even counting Saquon Barkley coming back. So this really is transformative the way that they've attacked the skill position on offense. We're going to run through a lot of the defensive guys, you know, Odin Egbo, Williams, Austin Johnson, Reggie Ragland, you know, in a future episode. But I just wanted to wrap up. This was really important. This was a huge, huge weekend for the Giants. Uh, and a lot is going to ride on this. You know, we, we can wave a checkered flag and call this a win for Dave Gettleman and the Giants and John Mara and you know everybody. But until these guys actually perform in the field, this doesn't really mean anything. All it actually does is put pressure on all of these guys to perform now. And quite frankly, Joe Judge as well. You know, he's got to get these guys to play up to their potential. So we will see you all in a in in about a day. We'll have another episode a little bit more comprehensive. So in the meantime, please follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump. You can all follow me at the Cranky Band where we'll talk about everything. We're not gonna talk about we are not gonna talk about Florida basketball. That will be that's off limits. Topic non grata for me. Yes. <laughs> And as always, this episode can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, you name it. Go support the show there with a five-star rating and a review. And give us a follow on Twitter at JustGiantsPod. We will see you all in about a day. Go Giants! Giants.